The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. <gasps> Hi there, Graham Norton here with a fresh new edition of the Graham Norton Waitrose podcast. What do we have coming up today? Well, Ambika Maud and Leo Woodall are in chatting about their Netflix adaptation of the David Nichols book, One Day. Alex Michaelides, uh, you'll know him as the author of The Silent Patient. He's got a new one out called The Fury. Show chef Martha has a recipe for the best carbonara. Woohoo! And of course, Maria McCurlin is here solving your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Crossing to the advice line. Hello, Maria. Hey, congratulations. We survived two years of January. Yay! Yay! We did it, everyone. We did it. It was quite long, wasn't it? Oh, every year it just goes on and on. But I sort of felt it was like spring this week. We had one nice day and I thought, okay, spring. It was very... One day I cycled to the gym without uh, tracksuit bottoms on. What? <laughs> Naked? No, no, I had little shorts on. You went in shorts? Little shorts, yeah. How far is it to the gym? Ooh, about, ooh, uh, ten feet. <laughs> you didn't really need to cycle. Uh, no, it, it, I mean it's you know it's far enough to get cold, but it, I wasn't cold. Cause it was, but then the next day, of course, it was freezing, and I didn't have gloves on, and I, yeah, yeah. I thought, thought I was going to die. I have to admire you for cycling to the gym and then cycling to the studio to record your television show because you're not as young as you were. No, my I feel like my bike's losing its speed, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> I hear ya. My bike seems it's getting heavier. That bike, I don't know what's going on. With well, it. of course, I have obviously jumped over to the dark side. And got myself an e-bike now. Ooh. I know. I'm really letting the side down. But I still have one that needs pedal power. So I do now, on my cycles, I do look at people on electric bikes and I kind of think, would it be so bad? Would it be so evil to get one? But no, I'm holding firm. Well, the thing is, you can try it out in London because now, instead of the Boris bikes or whatever they were called, uh, everyone's doing the lime bikes. And there's a green one as That's well. That's what I'm saying, lime, lime. Do you see? No, no, but there's other ones that are dark green. Oh. Uh, first 10 minutes free, I read with interest. <laughs> take 10 minutes and put it back. That's and what take I think. another one. Yeah. They're idiots, these people. <laughs> no, we're idiots. Yeah, right. call themselves businessmen. Um, I loved your show last night. I thought it was a really lovely um, couch. Do you know, I rarely uh, love my show as much as I did last night. I just enjoyed all of those guests so much. And they gave a lot. They all gave, maybe Dakota Fanning, not so much. But, um, but they... she, No, but she hates talk shows. Oh, so she, she? So she did very well, Dakota Johnson. By by speaking at all, in and, fact. And, just, and laughing and smiling and just, you know, I think she enjoyed herself. Yeah. Yeah. No, a really lovely couch. And also you talked to the name of the man I've forgotten, American Fiction. Oh, Sterling K. Brown, who was in here with Chris on Thursday morning. Oh, was he? Uh, so he had a long old day. He had a nap. He had a nap on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. he did Chris in the morning and then he came in to see us. But he is a force of nature. I Isn't really he like great? him. great. And he's so good in American Fiction. And I love the film American Fiction, actually. If you get the chance to see it, lovely yeah. Virgin Radio peeps. It's a it, g- yes, I'm with you because it's a, it's a hard sell because we say everything's good and then we tell you what that film's about. It's about kind of, you know, uh, a literary professor and... Whose you, books can't get published. Yeah, and you just think, oh, that sounds awful. Um, it isn't. It's very funny and it's just great characters. Because he does a spoof on the black tropes, basically, of what people expect, you know, a black man to be. So he does this spoof and it's called The Rude Word and um, they love it, of course, you know. And, yeah. But I love the family. The whole family. Exactly. Even, want without, to even watch without the satire, them. Yeah. you'd love that family. You'd want to spend time with them. Yeah. yeah. I want them to do a series of that, please. If they could, please. What Thank else you. are you 
recommendations this week, please? Uh, Or what uh, else have you done? uh, You've been very busy of late. I have. I've been sitting in my room doing a bit of boo. Oh, well done. Um, And also, then in the evening, what have you started watching? We're watching uh, the Jodie Foster in True Detective. Yes, she's great, isn't she? Uh, She's very good. And we've just started watching. We've only been one episode in. And it's it's one of those things where we're a bit scared because the first episode was so good, you kind of think, You've, have you tricked us here by making this very good? Or is the whole I love series? How suspicious you are! Well, because we've been bitten before. You know, yeah, when you, when you yeah. start a new series, and the first episode is amazing, and, and you're then, hooked, and then four episodes in, you're like, oh, God, why do we but start? You watching haven't this? said what it is. Oh, uh, Fargo with right. uh, Juno Temple, who is lead. great, who is in Ted Lasso, who is yeah, a very yeah. good actress. Yeah, yeah, really good. And uh, yeah, so hopefully that. That holds up. Uh, what have you seen? Really nothing. I mean, terrestrial television, I hate to say this, I was just having a chat with Owen outside, is so grim these days. I mean, it's gladiators or traitors, it seems but to me. people love gladiators I and traitors. I but I'm not people. I don't love them. <laughs> I, was... I did love traitors. I did love traitors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and yeah. he, has he got a career outside of traitors? What's he going to do? He's given up his job and he wants to go into showbiz. What, he's given up his job? Yeah, the man who won the traitors. Oh, what was his job? I don't know. Well, he's got 95 grand, so he can... That's not going to last forever. Well, he doesn't know that. He's young. Uh... <laughs> 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 and, and also, you know, people kind of go, oh, he's so clever. He played a really clever game. He was in a castle with morons. <laughs> it was the, yeah. the bar was quite low. Yeah. <laughs> But I did quite like what he said to his girlfriend. First thing he said to his girlfriend was, do you still love me? Because obviously he realised that he had been a bit of a nasty word. Oh. Do you still love me? That makes me like him more. I didn't watch it. I didn't. I have no, I have no reason not to like him. The end. Virgin Radio. Radio yes, that is me. And I have some problems. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria... I have been signed off for work with stress for two weeks after suffering a panic attack. With one week remaining on my leave, I'm trying to decide whether to go back or just pull the plug and quit altogether. On the one hand, my boss is a bully who constantly finds fault in our work, changes our work priorities on a whim and doesn't listen to any new ideas. Five people have left the company in the last six months one who was fired for spurious reasons. They haven't been replaced and the rest of us are expected to pick up the pieces. It's a small company owned by the boss and there is no HR department. On the other hand, I work in a niche area and have been looking for a new job for several months now. Yesterday I had an interview that went really well, but the process won't be complete for a few weeks and it's not guaranteed that I will get it. I've had some good leads since I took time off too. I have savings that will see me through a few months, but is that really what I want to do with my hard-earned money? So, over to you and the listeners. Do I pull the plug and walk away, potentially risking financial pain if the job hunt continues to drag on, Or do I return to work and find some way to put up with the random phone calls with ever-increasing demands and the damage it's doing to my mental health? And that is from Abigail in Warrington. Oh, Abigail, that sounds horrible. Um, My advice to you, and Graham's might be different, would be to, first off, talk to your boss. It's owned by your boss. There is no uh, HR company. Um, 
it, you know, losing so many people, five people or four have left, by, is too many. There's, there's something going wrong here. But maybe they're trying to downsize. Maybe they're trying to get rid of people. You know, nobody really knows. But you need to talk to us. I would say do everything that you can before you throw in the towel because then you can say, I tried and no one listened to me because I think you're at the moment you're in a bit of a hysterical situation with it. But talk to the boss. And then I would say my feeling is use, you know, if you leave, you've got incentive. You've got incentive to get another job. At the moment, you're dabbling. You're dipping your foot in the water and it's not really turning up much. But if you have incentive and you don't want to use all your savings, I mean, good luck with the one that you went to, the interview you went to. But I would say, I think it's making you unhappy and unwell. I would say leave. They don't deserve you. Yeah, I'm with you. And also, look, this bully boss is delighted with himself because he's now not paying five people he was paying and the work, you're all still doing it. So, Abigail, uh, yeah, you've got to kind of put some value on yourself and just go, you know what? Quite right too. Yeah, I need to get out of here. I'm worth more than this. The thing I would say is, yes, you've got these savings and that's good, but you don't have to spend them because yes you work in a niche thing but you know what while you're looking for this other job you could pick up a bit of bar work in the evening mm-hmm. or go to a, a you know one of those uh, agencies and get some you know cleaning work or something there must be other things you can do and you'll make a bit of money a bit of pocket money from that and it means you're not spending money while you're doing that mm. and and also it means you're not sitting at home going oh dear god i've no job what the hell? I don't think Abigail wants to do cleaning. She's in a niche market. I want to know what she. What is the niche market? It's cleaning. She. she <laughs> that isn't niche. That is very far from niche, apparently. Uh, but I, I just think Abigail, you, you've got, you hold more cards than you think you do. I would say because you, you have these savings, which is great. You have skills that are niche, which has to be good. <laughs> Should we keep saying niche? Let's say niche a lot. <laughs> yeah, niche Lorraine. <laughs> oh, yummy. Ooh, lovely. Niche Abigail. <laughs> um, yes, you've got Martha's to... Martha's going to make it later. <laughs> oh, I wish she would. Um, I, I think you've got to ho- sort of make yourself feel like you are valued and worthwhile. And at the moment, you are feeling very worthless. To have a panic attack is not great. And to be feeling so miserable about it. But you are playing into their hands by leaving because they're obviously trying to get rid of everyone so they don't have to pay people. But I would talk to the boss. And knowing that you can leave and that you probably are going to leave, you can be frank. And you can say this is not a good environment to work in and he is making everyone's life a misery. If you don't care, fine, but I'm leaving. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I, 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 that's one of the things there's nothing to be gained from it well what is to be gained is thinking I did stand up for myself at least you know, she walked course- away she wins she wins it's all going on over there and good luck to everyone who's staying in there but I'm I'm out. I would just spring yourself, Abigail. That's what I would do. But you know, what's that thing, the spree d'escalier, if you'd have thought of it at the time? I think it's always good to think, I did stand up for myself. I did speak my mind. I did, in a calm and collected way, tell them why I was going to leave. And rather than just go, oh, I'm leaving because I've got a panic attack. No, but then the big bully boss is just going to scream at you and, you know, and he'll... You know, throw your house plant out and that sort of stuff. (laughs) I love your idea of an office. You know, everyone has a plant, don't they? Clear out your clear your desk. Well, it's a bit like television, is it? Clear your desk. You take a picture of your wedding and your pot plant. Yes. And your sandwich maker. You leave your niche entirely empty when you leave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Clear your niche. 
Clearly, <laughs> should get out of here. Uh, Abigail, fly or free? Because you have skills, you can use them. Any advice for Abigail? Remember, there's no HR department. Our responses, part one. And my favourite responders today will be getting... <gasps> can you tell Valentine's uh, Day is around the corner? Uh, Waitrose, Truffles and Bubbles. Yes, a bottle of Prosecco and a choice of Waitrose Truffles. All right, back off. You get a choice. You could have the number one dark chocolate or the champagne or the salted caramel. One of those with your bottle of Prosecco. How happy would that make someone? Yes, Truffles and Bubbles, courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, okay, our first letter was from Abigail in Warrington. Uh, Abigail, oh dear. She's been signed off work with stress for two weeks. She had a panic attack. Uh, she's got another week of leave left and her problem is this. Does she go back and suffer through this uh, with a horrible bullying boss who's managed to get rid of five people from a very small company? Uh, they claim one that was fired and the others just left. And uh, he's you know, he's not replacing those people. He's just making everyone work much harder and nobody likes him. And But Abigail, she works in a very niche area. We don't know what she does. But it means that getting a new job won't be that easy. But she has had a, a job interview which she thinks went well and she's had some other leads and she's got some savings so she could survive for a few months if she just left. What should she do? Abigail, you can't put a price on your mental health. Put yourself first and walk away. This is from Harry in Exeter. Having promising leads in a niche area is nothing but a good sign. And once you're out of this job, you can throw yourself fully into a job search. And as Maria said, you know, it, it motivates you if you've, you know, if you don't have a job, you, you got to get one. If you're naturally a saver, you'll soon build back anything you have to spend on yourself in the meantime. Times like this are surely what savings are for in the first place. I agree. Hello, Graham. Abigail should contact ACAS, a free independent service for mediation between employers and employees. Ask for an extension to your sick note until the interview process is completed. Submit a grievance with your current employer for bullying and harassment. You'll need this potentially for future legal claims. Plus, it shows you're not a pushover. Don't resign. Okay. Um, with any luck, they'll decide to settle to avoid legal fines and you'll get a soft landing as you look for your next role. Stand up to your boss. You'll be glad you did and can leave with your, with your head held up high. Plus, you might encourage others to do the same. And that's from uh, Carl, who is a HR consultant. Thank you very much. Really practical, helpful advice. Carl, thank you so much. And Molly's in London. Dear Graham and Maria, Abigail needs to stay in a job. I've worked in HR for 30 plus years. When interviewing, it's always better to have a job to get a job. When a potential employer asks why you're not employed, what do you say? I didn't get on with my boss. I didn't like it. No, stick with it, but look for a new job furiously, but not desperately. Not having an income can create even more stress than a bad boss. I mean, what you say is true, but equally... It does sound pretty toxic. Uh, to paraphrase Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost, Abigail, you in danger, girl. Get out now. I found myself in a very similar situation a few years ago and leaving it was the best thing I ever did. It's been a slow process building up my confidence again after constantly being berated and undermined, but I finally found my professional and personal worth again. 
No job is worth the impact on your mental health and it creeps into more areas of your life than you realise. Look after yourself. Thank you so much, Jenna, for that. Uh, I have to give the Waitrose Truffles and Bubbles, the Prosecco and Truffles, to uh, Carl, the HR consultant, because, uh, you know, that's the sort of advice you pay for. Virgin Radio. Uh, hot off the text oh, yes. or the WhatsApps. Oh, yes. I like to know that people are listening. Uh, they're all loving Fargo. Yeah, saying stick with it. Stick with it. It's very oh, good. Oh, well, that's pleasing to know. Yeah, that's good. Are you relieved? Has, has that brought you some relief? Well, we still haven't finished it, have we? <laughs> they're saying stick with it. Yeah, well, OK. Let, let's chat when we see the last episode. Okay. That's all I'm saying. In the meantime, here's the second problem. OK. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I have just turned 40 and have been with my husband for 12 years. We have a two-year-old daughter and started parenthood late due to health issues in my 30s. Since having my daughter, I have felt a strong need to give her a sibling and that I won't be doing right by her if I don't. We started the fertility treatment after not falling pregnant and I was told that I have few eggs left and will start menopause soon. However... My relationship now has conflict and my husband doesn't want to be involved in fertility treatment or try for a second child at this time. I think the conflict conflict is situational from a really hard year with ageing parents, a toddler that doesn't sleep, etc. We are in counselling, but I don't see a quick fix. Do I accept that I won't have a second child? or pursue IVF solo, this would be egg retrieval with a lower chance of success. This is potentially my last chance and I will feel so much grief if I accept that I will never have another child. And that is from Rosie in Glasgow. Oh, Rosie in Glasgow, this is a really tricky one because, you know, for women it's just so hard because there's the ticking clock, etc. I would say to you, Rosie, I mean, you know, things come along in leaps and bounds with fertility treatment. I would say put it to your husband that you pursue egg retrieval, which would mean freezing your eggs, not embryos, because they won't be fertilised. You freeze your eggs, I believe, and then... You know, if you start menopause soon, people are having babies later because menopause can be reversed, etc. I don't want to get into too much of the medical stuff. But I would say then you know that you've you've tried, you've done something. It's going to be more perhaps heartache further down the line, though. And I think, you know, you are in counselling, which is a great thing. And there isn't a quick fix, but it's your husband who is resistant to this and I understand with aging parents and a toddler that doesn't sleep he's thinking why would I put more stress in my life but you're thinking this is my last go at this so maybe egg retrieval and put them on literally on ice until such time things are better and and may you know I don't know it's it's such a difficult one because you will get to that stage where you think why didn't I do that last thing why didn't I have one last go but then you know but then the chance it sounds like the chances of success here are so slim because you know she had difficulty already now there are very few legs eggs left and i just for me i just think rosie you are making a bad situation worse 
because this little family is already struggling with everything that's going on. And, you know, I think, Rosie, focus on what, what's really go, what, what what is going, have. yeah, what is happening. You have a husband, you have this little child and you've got aging parents. Look after that rather than, you know, I feel like it's just weird. It's, I mean, I get totally what you're saying, Maria, mm, that, mm. you know, it's this, you know, primal urge. And... I think that's what you're not understanding is that yearning. And it could be that you're transferring a lot of what's going on in your little family, that yearning, onto a second child. I mean, you know, a second child will be difficult and the chance, the odds are slim. You're possibly going to be perimenopausal in a couple of years and the few eggs that you have will have to be put on ice and that is a lower success rate, etc. I think you know all of these odds, but there is that yearning. And so if you really feel that then go it alone for egg retrieval because nobody knows what's going to happen in the future and people but can then, but then i feel like that is rosie saying i am going it alone that's because that's that's well, the I, end of her no marriage. but i no, i think you in counseling you say how do you feel about the fact that i go it alone and we we wait we wait a couple of years because you can have reversal menopause symptoms to you know if you've got a viable embryo you can do that uh but the, you know the odds are getting smaller and smaller but i feel that it's going to make her crazy if she doesn't do this if you don't attempt something even if it doesn't come to fruition you have at yeah. least finally got the last few remaining eggs i mean i think there's something terrible about when you're told that you have a last few remaining eggs it just feels so final but also i think though there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking you know i wasn't able to have any kids you know of course there is grief, that argument that, too that grief is, you know, she's talking about, oh, I'll, I'll, I will feel so much grief that I accept I never have another child. You've had a child, Rosie. You've had this miracle walk into your life. So I kind of, I, I just feel like, just love the life you are living rather than mourning the I life you don't. I have spoken to people, though, that have had one child and then are sort of denied because there's a, such a thing as second child infertility yeah, yeah. Um, and feel absolutely bereft. And it, it's almost like, you know, once you've known what's possible with not having a child... I'm just kind of, you know, free-balling here. With once you, If you don't have a child, then you don't know. But if there's one child that you've got and you want to recreate, then that's, that's it's the same sort of grief. I mean, look, there's no right or wrong thing yeah. here. You feel what you feel and you have to go with it. But I think do it with the help of a counsellor and hopefully with the blessing of your husband because things sound precarious, don't they, Graham? Yeah, no, they do. And also, I want you know, I, I wonder, you know, it, could you do um, adoption later on? But I guess they're getting a bit long in the tooth for that as well. Mm. So it's all, it's it, it, yes, time is again you, Rosie. But just, I would say, count your blessings. You are a very lucky woman. You've had this miraculous child. Um, and I guess stick with counselling and, and see what comes about. And But Maria's right. You feel what you feel. You can't kind of control this urge. Mm. Uh, I'm sure lots of people will have advice for Rosie in Glasgow. Responses part two. And uh, I'm going to say about the first response, I mean, so many people getting in touch today with both of these problems. So thank you so much. And again, my favourite responder will be getting the Waitrose Truffles and Bubbles. That's Prosecco with a choice of truffle stock, chocolate champagne or salted caramel. Our second letter, oh, such uh, a thorny, difficult one. Uh, Rosie is in Glasgow. She just turned 40 and she's been with her husband for 12 years, okay? They have a two-year-old and they started parenthood because Rosie was ill in her 30s. Um, now, 
they Rosie basically would like uh, a sibling for her daughter. She feels like if she doesn't, she will have failed her daughter. Uh, they were doing fertility treatment, but now uh, the marriage is kind of in a rough rough place after a terrible year with a toddler who doesn't sleep and aging parents and all sorts of stresses. And so the husband's going, no, I'm not interested in pursuing this fertility. Uh, Rosie still is. They're in counselling, but it's not going to be a quick fix. Um, and, you know, she doesn't have many eggs left. What? Should she do? Does she accept the fact that uh, she now has an only child because she, you know, feels there'll be a great grief in her life that uh, she didn't have another child? Uh, what do people think she should do? Andrea in Portishead, tell Rosie I was in exactly the same boat. My daughter is now an adult and she has been a delight from day one. We've been able to take her everywhere and we are all very close and happy with each other. Treasure the daughter you have. She will be fine as long as she has loving parents behind her. This way, you can enjoy your later years without exhaustion. Uh, feel for Rosie, really tricky one. Um, I think the reason for wanting a second child is the core point here. The feeling of the child needing a sibling. Or is that you that want a second child? I think it was also what family did Rosie grow up in? I think people try to replicate the family they were in because they think, oh, that's the right one. Um and if you weren't an only child, then you kind of think, oh, terrible. This is, by the way, this is Andrew in Glasgow. Um, there are millions of very happy only children out there. So the question is, what is the real reason for wanting a second child? And is it worth putting what you have on the line? Uh, Sharon Whitehouse says, you can't help what your body clock is telling you. And unfortunately, men sometimes don't have the same feelings at the same time. Rosie should listen to her body, but go into this in an open way through the counselling. Otherwise, it could damage her marriage and upset the family unit. I had six rounds of IVF. Oh, Sharon. And all failed. Then conceived naturally. Miracles do happen and single children also thrive in a loving family. Hey Graham, Maria, I struggled to conceive a second child, had numerous miscarriages. As much as I wanted a sibling for my son, the trials and tribulations of trying to conceive were steering me away from enjoying my time with him. Every time it didn't happen felt like a hammer blow, not to mention the physical recovery. My son is 13, and I'm often told by parents who have lots of children how much they envy my amazing bond with my son how they wish they had more time to give to each of their children. Of course, I feel sad I couldn't have another child, but I made the right decision to stop trying and focus on the amazing child I do have and remind myself how lucky I am every day. I'm so glad to hear that, Emma, in Bristol. And Keith from Long Eaton says, Dear Rosie, have you considered a puppy? Your child would love the playmate and the little ball, the little fur ball uh, will bring happiness and calm to the whole family. And, you know, that sounds kind of facile... <laughs> Uh, a bit of advice but you know you're probably not wrong Keith uh, it could tick a lot of the boxes um, uh, Prosecco the bubbles and uh, truffles going to give to uh, Sharon I'm going to give them to Sharon and thank you for sharing your stories I know uh, people have been through a lot so uh, it, it means a lot that you were, were generous with your advice there for Rosie The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose Food to feel good about Virgin Radio Here comes 
Alex Michaelides. I say that all the time. Um, how are you, sir? <laughs> I am very good, Graham. Thank you for having me on the show. No, lovely to have you here. Uh, congratulations on all your success. Uh, this is uh, novel number three. Yes, that's right. Novel yeah. number three, yeah. The Fury. Uh, so, on the face of it, we think we know we're getting into. It seems like it's going to be a, one of those locked door mysteries, but it's it's not that. Uh, so tell us what you can. Yes, sure, absolutely. Well, you know, ostensibly it's about a famous ex-movie star who invites her six best friends to spend Easter with her on her private Greek island. And then they get trapped there because of the bad of uh, the wind. And um, the then fury, there's a murder. The, fury, the furious wind, the fury. yes. But um, what I, you know, what I try to do with this book is yeah, anybody who writes or picks up a novel where characters get trapped on an island and there's murder has got Agatha Christie <laughs> hovering over their shoulder. Yeah. And so I, what I wanted to do was kind of play with the expectations that a reader brings to it and then turn them on their head. So I had a lot of fun coming up with the twists and turns in that yeah. book. And also, we don't really get to the islands. We're about halfway. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, of London and, and that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. Well, I wanted to kind of focus on it. I call it a why done it, not a who done it. So I really want to kind of focus on the, on the motivations and the psychology and the childhood of all the characters too. It was it was really fun having a smaller canvas than with my last book where I overstretched myself and just having <laughs> seven characters and one of them dies. So actually, it's not that many people to focus on. And it's quite meta because it's it's written by a writer. Yes. It's written by a playwright. Um, and uh, he's very aware of his genre. And so are readers. And so I thought it would be kind of like a dialogue about the conventions of a murder mystery all the way through. It would be really fun. So I'm, I've enjoyed doing that aspect of it. And did you bring your kind of screenwriting credentials to play writing Elliot? Yes, I did. Um, I, I think, um, well, not, it's also the world that it's setting. It's about a movie star, a playwright and a British theatre actress. And it's a world I know really well. And so I thought it would be fun to take these larger than life characters, um, trap them on an island and throw in a murder. Um, so yes, <laughs> and in terms of you know, in terms of the pacing, because you know it it starts and we know that Elliot knows everything. Um, you know, I always think when it comes to writing, you know, you could, you could just blurt it all out. <laughs> this yeah. happened, and it's yeah. a page long. Yeah. Um, how, how how do you how do you approach it? Kind of like breaking it down into kind of uh, you know, so that it becomes a whole novel. Well, you know, it, I this was probably the most fun book that I've written. Um, I decided to change the way that I wrote. My first two novels, I planned them both for like a year, a year and a half before writing a single word, which does take the joy out of it slightly. And so this time I decided that I was going to create a situation where I knew the setup, I knew the characters, didn't know who the murderer was, didn't know who the victim was, and just tell myself the story. And so it sort of evolved and I pretended that, you know, the conceit is that he's uh, sitting in a bar talking to the reader. And so I just pretended that he was sitting opposite me in a bar and buying me a drink and just telling me a story. And I just kind of tried to have this character create this this whole plot as he went along. So it requires an act of faith because you've got to pray that you're going to get to an end and there is going to be an ending. I mean, it's confident just heading, in, <laughs> yeah. heading into the wild unknown. It was, it, was, it was a decision because I wanted to have fun. I didn't really, after the success of my first book, I probably should have taken a beat to pull myself together and to, you know, reevaluate. But I didn't. My agent said to me, you know, you have to write a second novel at some point. It might as well be today. So I did. <laughs> um, but I also chose kind of very sad subject matter about a grieving heroine and very, very sad um, 
uh, story. And then three years later, I was profoundly depressed. And I thought this time, no, this time I want to write about movie stars and glamour, martinis, cocktails, and, you know, witty banter. And a lovely Greek island. And a lovely Greek island. So yeah. it's, been, it's been a pleasure to inhabit that world. Have you heard that thing that Agatha Christie used to decide who'd done it, like, at the end of the book? If you look at some of her notebooks, it's quite comic, I must say, because she says, she also the detective as well. She goes, hmm, it could be Tommy and Tuppence, it could be Hercule Poirot, it could be Miss Marple. I think it was a definite interplay of like inserting, you know, murderers and victims and even detectives in and out. Oh, yeah. oh, I see what you mean. She would yeah. she would decide who the detective was yes. after, yeah. late in the day. Late in the day. So, yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. And that's before you'd word search and cut and paste. I mean, you know, <laughs> now, easy. Easy to do that. Um, and you're on a book tour. You're, you're going to be yeah. going around the UK now, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I've just done a couple of weeks in America, um, which was really fun, starting in the snow of um, Chicago and Pittsburgh and going, ending up in Miami a couple of days ago where people were swimming in you know, in the pools and sunbathing. Oh, gorgeous. So it's been amazing. Yeah. And, and meeting could, could people readers. come and see you in the UK? Yes, I'm going to Birmingham tomorrow and then Liverpool. Um, I was in London last night. It's uh, it's a lot of fun Yeah, to meet. Because, you know, my first it's my first tour. Um, I didn't tour with my first book. And then COVID happened, the second. And so now's the first chance I'm getting to meet readers. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. It's so weird that you're three novels into this huge, successful career, yeah, yeah. and this is the first time you're meeting readers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's starting to feel real. It didn't feel because I wrote the first two novels at my kitchen table, and it felt like nothing had changed yeah. at all. And now suddenly, I'm actually out in the world, and it's exciting. Yeah, you're. I'm very successful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big deal. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. I am talking to Alice Michaelides. His new one, The Fury. It is out in hardback now. We were just talking about what to wear for a book tour. Uh, do you dress up as an author? Do you wear corduroy? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you, I think you're allowed to wear what you like as an author, which is, which is nice. But um, I was starting off very smart and now I'm getting shabbier with each event. <laughs> Sadly. A tramp by the end yeah, of it. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> um, and... Uh, the other thing that comes with great success is that people option your books. Mm-hmm. So uh, have they all sold now? They've all been optioned, yeah. The, um, there should be some exciting news about The Silent Patient very, very soon, in fact, about the, the film version, which is really cool. Plan B has the rights and it looks like it's going to happen. So I'm excited about that. OK. And yeah, the second one's going to be TV series possibly and The Fury has just been optioned and um, I'm for another movie. And, I, you know, I wrote it for, um, for Uma Thurman. Um, the novel because um, we met during the last film that I wrote 10 years ago and um, when I was a terrible screenwriter in Hollywood and it's true she taught me how to how to write visually Um, she she kind of we sat down with the script that I'd written for her while we were filming it and she explained to me why it wouldn't work which isn't something you want to hear (laughs) while you're filming while you're filming it and then kind of taught me about visual um, writing and I took everything that she taught me and put it into The Silent Patient, rewrote that book, and my writing got so much better. So I wanted to write something for her, and I've written the part of Lana, the movie star, in The Fury for Uma, and she's agreed to be in the movie when it happens. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a dream come true, really. Yeah. And, like, The Silent Patient, the, the, why couldn't that have started life as a screenplay? Ah, oh, it's a really good question. No one's asked me that before. Um, because I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Someone recording this? <laughs> I think because I was trying to get out of screenplays. Um, 
I'd done, you know, the three films, each have been worse than the last. And um, there's something about being a screenwriter in a film set, not on television, but in films that is very, you know, depressing because you're the least important person. Yeah. And everything gets rewritten on the set without your participation, even, never mind permission. And um, I just, you know, you spend five years on a script and then you watch it fall apart. And then you get a panicked phone call from the director in the editing room saying, it's not working. And I'm like, well, I, I know that. I, I saw you, you know, mess it all up on set. Yeah. So I just thought I've always loved detective stories. I've loved Agatha Christie my whole life. And I thought before I, I was 36 at that point, and I felt like I had no career. My last agent had dropped me. And I thought, well, before I give up, I'm going to try and write this detective story I've been carrying in my head for two decades. Yeah. So it was always going to be a novel. And I'm honestly much better at writing novels. So it was a good choice. But I wonder... Is it because is it because you don't have to collaborate? Is it is it you know? Do you believe that those three screenplays that you now don't think were very good, when you finished them and they, before you'd shown them to anyone, were they really good? I think they were all right, but I do think that I find it much easier to um, to get inside somebody's head than to dramatise a scene. And so the moment I started to write down, you know, started to write a first-person narrative novel, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Because there's something about books that you can slow down time, you can yeah. expand, you can go backwards and forwards in someone's head. Um, you can suddenly remember a childhood scene and he says, oh, by the way, I want to tell you about this. Whereas when you're actually dramatising a scene, it's, I find it very hard to get below the surface in the way that I would like to. Isn't that interesting? Do you look back now and think, why the hell did I ever want to write screenplays? I always think about something Tom Stoppard said. He said that we're not very often very good at the things we love. And I love movies. Um, and I just have always wanted, since I was a kid in Cyprus, I used to, work, I used to watch the same films again and again and again and want to go with the film stars wherever they went at the end of the movie and, and thought if I could just get to Hollywood, I'd be happy. Oh, wow. Um, and it turns out I was wrong. And are you adapting The Silent Patient? No, I'm not. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really involved. I'm going to be more involved with The Fury. But the others, I felt I wanted to take a step back and focus on the writing of books. Yeah. yeah which, take, as you know, takes a very long time. Yeah. So, and also, it's yeah. going pretty well. So, yeah. uh, really, you should focus on it. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, follow the success. I was <laughs> Do that, do that's, that. That's good advice. <laughs> uh, so, remind us, where can people see you tonight? You're in... Um, tonight, I'm in Birmingham. Tonight uh, it's Birmingham. Yes, and then Liverpool, I think, on Sunday. And if they go to your website, they'll yes, find those the, dates. Yeah, yeah. Or it's uh, my publisher, Michael Joseph, as well, at Penguin, that has all the, the info. But yeah, or Instagram or, or whatever. Okay, because there are lots of fans out there who want to hear more. Uh, thank you very much for coming in to see us. Oh, it's uh, such a joy to be here. Thank you uh, well, very much. Well, yeah, because we've, we've done the Zoom before, but yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the real deal. It is. At the top of the tower. We're back. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, all right, good luck with the Fury. It is out in hardback now. Graham Norton on Virgin Radio. With Waitrose. Still to come, Ambika Maud and Leo Woodall will be chatting about starring in the new Netflix show One Day. But first, thank the heavens the trolley's arrived. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Do you have a nice week? I did, thank you. Lots of recipe creating this week. Oh, yes. But yeah, good times. Uh, Savory or sweet? A a combination. That's a lot of recipes. I know, all sorts. Wow. (laughs) And I mean, when you're creating a recipe, do you kind of lie in bed thinking, 
ooh, I could use sage with pumpkin or, <laughs> you know, do, do, is it just flavour combinations? Or? I do a bit. It wakes me up in the night and then I have a little notebook that I have to write things down in. So what you have all your best ideas, either in the shower or when you're trying to sleep. Yeah. And it's really annoying because there are the two times where it's really difficult to make a note of the things. Yeah. The other, one, the other time I find is dog walking. Dog walking uh... using great ideas. And then, uh, you know, you can't write anything down. <laughs> uh, some feedback. Morning, Grammar team. Uh, can you thank Martha for her yummy recipes? Just having a French toast for brunch. Oh, I just sent you the picture. The panettone French toast. That's such a good idea because I feel like lots of us have a panettone knocking about that we forgot about yeah. <laughs> from Christmas. And you're thinking, will that be good next year? No, it won't. Uh, but it'll make delicious uh, French toast. The recipe's on uh, waitrose.com slash showchef. Go, go, get it. Um, <laughs> it's quite a close-up picture. I, I was a bit... When I saw the picture, I was like, what the hell is that? But she's, <laughs> she's really leaned in with her iPhone, hasn't she? It's a macro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, uh, Sarah in Prasatin, what could you be making for lunch today? Well, today we have got a carbonara recipe. A mm. classic, but one that we actually haven't done yet in the two and a bit years I've been no. your show chef. And this is another of your best evers. It is. There was lots of carbonara testing, which to be honest was a very happy week because I carbonara bet. is just a joy. <laughs> it is lovely. <laughs> It is lovely. If you go to a kind of a proper traditional Italian restaurant, you see carbonara, you just think, oh, yeah, go on. Oh, yeah. It's, but it's also the worst thing when it's not good and the eggs are all scrambly. I went to Italy once when I was a teenager, interrailing with some friends, and we were trying to do budget food, which in Italy is not, shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. And we went to this restaurant and we got a carbonara and it literally was like scrambled egg on pasta. That'll and, do me. I'll oh, eat it. It was so sad. Bit of ham. <laughs> Bit of ham, scrambled egg, and a bit of pasta. I'm loving it. Yeah, <laughs> tasted yeah. good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not fussy. So, where do people go wrong? Why does that happen? It's usually about overcooking the eggs because the ingredients in carbonara are super simple, um, and there's no cream or anything. We've tried to keep it as traditional and true to form as not to offend any Italians or or yeah. of the like. <laughs> and is it one of those weird Italian recipes that's not that old? Like, isn't there a, like a, a one restaurant in Italy that claims they invented the carbonara or that's something? That's a good question. It could I feel, well I be. I feel like that's some sort of Instagram story <laughs> that I shouldn't have been watching because I had something like, better to, to do. Come to our restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> but, were the first. Yeah, but I feel like it, it, it's a, a relatively modern invention. Carbonara. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. But it is nice and simple and it's store-covered ingredients and it's almost kind of breakfasty. Uh, well, certainly brunchy. <laughs> Almost appropriate. Brunchy in my life. And uh, what pasta have you used? I've just gone with spaghetti. Proper spaghetti carbonara. You can use other things, but this it, the sauce is so kind of thick and velvety that it should needs to grip on something like spaghetti or linguine. You don't really want anything too textured or full because it's unnecessary. Not necessary. Not necessary. Save that for your ragging. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Here comes Martha with the full receipt for the best carbonara in the world. Take it away, Martha Collison. So, we're taking five ingredients, just five, nice and straightforward, and five good quality ingredients. So, we're going to start with our spaghetti. You want to take that, we're putting it into a pan of boiling salted water. You want to give it a little taste, make sure it's almost as salty as the sea, just because it carries the flavour throughout the entire dish. Yeah, and now this, you told me this a few weeks ago about the amount of salt you need to put. Mm. I, always, I always just put a little... Like a, yeah, a sprinkle. I would just do that. But no, but we're supposed to really salt that water. It works really well and you'll notice it in the finished dish when you just, every little bite will have the flavour all the way through it. It is delicious, by the way. I just wolfed a whole bowl of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
love. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. So the spaghetti is cooking, and whilst the spaghetti is cooking, it normally takes about nine to ten minutes to get... Nine to eleven. Nine to eleven normally. Uh, (laughs) To get nice and al dente. Then we are taking... So I've used pancetta. Traditionally, you want guanciale, which is this kind of cured pork jowl. It's a little bit more fatty, but it's harder to get in supermarkets. So if you go to your butcher, ask for that if you want to make it to the book. But otherwise, cubed pancetta will work well. Lovely. And they've got got those packets of cubed pancetta, haven't they? It makes life easy. And to be honest, that's what you want. You don't even really want bacon. There's not enough fat in bacon to really give it the body that the sauce needs. So go for something fatty like pancetta. That goes into a frying pan. Get that sizzling until the fat all kind of runs out of it. Then two garlic cloves. You don't need to peel them, but just crush them with the back of a knife. And they go in and all they're going to do is infuse into the oil. They're not in the finished dish. We're going to be removing them. But they just add a little bit of extra flavour and you can keep them and use them, put them in the freezer or use them in garlic butter on toast or something like that. Yeah, whatever. Later in the week. (laughs) So your pancetta is crispy. Your garlic has gone in. It's once the pancetta's crispy, you want to take that out. Yeah. Then we are taking the pasta out of the water with tongs. Mm -hmm. The pasta goes straight into the fatty pancetta pan. Yes. And then you want to coat it. So every strand of pasta needs to be coated in this lovely garlicky oil and the pork fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are then taking our eggs. Turn our attention to the eggs. Yeah. You want the best quality eggs you can get hold of. So I've gone for the Waitrose Longstock Gold eggs because they just have beautiful rich yolk and they add so much colour and depth to the sauce so we want two egg yolks and two whole eggs crack them into a little bowl we're adding our parmesan grated sorry I just I need to go back a minute so is it two egg yolks plus two full eggs so yes. it's four yolks two whites yes okay. exactly Exactly. Okay. So not too many whites to try and decide what you're going to do with them. <laughs> yeah. But just enough that you'll get a real rich sauce. And also yeah. I think you want they're a saucy... They're in the bin with the garlic. That's you, what want, they are, yeah. you want a saucy carbonara. Yeah. Um, thankfully no one can see into the kitchen, so no one, <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> um, so then we add our parmesan and some cracked black, black pepper to the eggs, give them a whip with a fork until they're a nice smooth paste. Then we want to take our pan off the heat add that egg mixture into the sauce and just use your tongs to toss it all together and the eggs will gradually cook in the heat of the pasta and the heat of the pan. Add a bit of pasta water as well if you've got that left over to Lovely. increase the creaminess. And people are always shocked. They think carbonara has to have, it must have cream in it because it's so creamy, but it's all about kind of agitating that egg yolk, getting it emulsified and it becomes this lovely thick sauce. Bring it back to the heat if you need to, to warm it through and then serve it up. Lots of fresh black pepper, a bit more parmesan. You're good to go. Oh, it is delicious. And it does, it's weird, because as you say, so few ingredients, but wow, it packs a punch. Oh, it, it really, really does. does. It's so comforting, and it's such a good one to have up your sleeve, because most of the time, well, if you've got pancetta in the fridge, you've got these ingredients, and you can just whip I'm it up. I'm sure you've inspired so many people just to nip to the shop <laughs> and, and get those ingredients, because what a lovely Saturday lunch that would be. Or oh, yes. even a Saturday tea time. Yeah, in front of the oh, telly. Oh, <laughs> glass of red it's... wine, that, mass singer. <laughs> I'm happy. There you go. Uh, the best carbonara. Uh, you get the full recipe if you go to waitrose.com slash showchef. And indeed, all of Martha's recipes are there. You could also check out the visuals on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. I am delighted to say I'll be seeing you again tomorrow. You will. Something S- sweet for Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, is it, is it heart-shaped? It's not heart-shaped, but it is gooey. Is it the size of a lung? (laughs) (laughs) Is it the shape of a liver? The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Leo Woodall and Ambika Maud. Am I saying that? You are, yeah. Oh, good, I am. Very good. Yeah. No, because I said it wrong last night on the TV show. Yeah, yeah, I did. Also, a few minutes ago when you said our characters' names, you said Emmy and Dexter, (laughs) and I was like... 
Oh, it's Emma and Dexter. Oh, okay. And I was like, no, no it's fine. I, no, 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 it's fine. No, no it's okay. We like, I, thought, I thought it was Emma. Yeah. Um, and then I looked down and it says here, Emmy. So I thought, oh, I better, so I better see what's on the piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. One Day yeah. is one of those books that, uh, you know, it wasn't just popular. People love it. But mm. 2010, so was that book in either of your lives? Not mine. It was mine. Yeah, I read it like when it came out. I was like 13, 14. Yeah. Oh. Big fan, big fan, obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always been one of my favourite books. Yeah, yeah. I think it's lots of people's yeah. favourite books. So were you aware of kind of the pressure on the two of you when you when you stepped up and went, I will be Dexter, I will be... <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I didn't really know about it. <laughs> so not so much me, but then when I realised the, the fan base that it had... Yeah, there was some there was some pressure for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how do you did you deal with the book, or did you just go? We have these fourteen scripts. Let's focus on those. Oh no, definitely book. Book mm. was bible for a, a good for sure. while. But there was so much. There was so much script that you know. It was like 14 pages per so much script, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we didn't get all the scripts beforehand. We only had like the first few. Yeah. yeah. So, but we knew what was going to happen in great detail because there was an epic novel about it. So, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this, we should tell people that this series is faithful to the book. If Very, you love the book, you will not yeah. be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yes. we hope so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and interesting is David Nichols, the writer, he didn't adapt it, did he? no. No. no, it was Nicole Taylor, but he was an EP on it and he wrote one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. So he was there for the whole process and it has his, very much mm-hmm. has his blessing and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect he must be a serial killer or something because he's too nice. <laughs> he, he is, is so, so nice. nice. nice yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you gotta so be, he's cruel to animals. Yeah. Something. Something's going, something yeah. going on. Where are the bodies, David? <laughs> yeah. Because he's lovely. Yeah. He's just lovely, yeah. lovely so man. He's a very lovely. gentle, yeah, yeah, yeah. gentle being. And it's interesting because it's so. Oh yes, if anybody, because I, I, I'm just saying this, like everyone knows what one day is. If uh, somebody doesn't know this book, if people are just coming to this absolutely cold, uh, tell us about Dexter and Emma. I'm doing my job now. I oh, forgot no, to my job. <laughs> this is the basic <laughs> bit of interviewing. Tell Take it away, what it's Emma. about. Shall I do it? Um, okay, so um, Emma and Dexter starts when we see Emma and Dexter start. I've already done a terrible job. Okay, so when Emma and Dexter start, meet them. <laughs> On their graduation day at Edinburgh University. 15th of July, 1988. And you follow them every year on that specific day. Since Swithin's Day. Since Swithin's Day. Since Swithin's Day. I remember, I always forget that bit as well. (laughs) Um, And for about 20 years. And it's basically... Follows their lives uh, and their relationship. And it's life. And it is, yeah. and it's just well, it's just lovely. It is mm. just gorgeous, and uh, and also it's interesting because it is, you know, at its heart, it's kind of a, a romantic drama. There are laughs along the way, but interestingly, that a lot of the story you're filming separately. You're not together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we were uh, apart for uh, maybe half of it. Yeah, yeah, because um, there's just so much life stuff. That yeah, happens. yeah. Um, well, so it's just inconceivable that they'd spend every 15th of July together. That seems <laughs> like a mad coincidence. So probably good to have some stuff apart. Yeah. But yeah, it was about half together, half yeah. separate. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird. You, you wait ages for a kind of romantic drama to come along. And then I was just talking to Andrea Reisberg. She was on oh, here yeah. about um, Alice and Jack. Mm. And I was talking to her about, you know, her and Donal and how that worked. Mm. So did you have to do those kind of, you know, chemistry tests and all of that yeah, stuff? Yeah, we did one. Um, uh, and it, it obviously went okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're, they're kind of awkward because you've just met, and then within five minutes, you're, you know, 
nose to nose mid scene and yeah. it's kind of um it's just an odd thing and also you sort of like if you're good at acting you'll act a bit of chemistry won't you well, apparently but uh, but no no apparently, yeah you know chemistry is either there or it's not it's like, and you yeah. can kind of i thought i thought one went really well with someone else and then afterwards, they're like, wow, you really had no chemistry with that person. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know, I know. I wonder if they're listening to the radio. <laughs> yeah. I nearly got that job. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was all Leo's fault. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and you both, I think, had a kind of similar experience coming to this mm. because you've both had kind of breakout roles in other big things, mm. uh, but you weren't the leads in those mm. things. How did you wait for this project to come? Did you wait for the right lead to come along, or was it just kind of like, here's another job, let's do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it definitely um, it felt like good timing. Because had the White Lotus come out when you were auditioning? No, for this? I was filming it. Oh, I when see. I was auditioning for it. Oh, so yeah. you didn't? You, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I guess you knew the White Lotus was going to be big. Yeah. But yeah, you didn't know it was going to be that big. No, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but I think uh, production, you know, definitely looked at me like, ooh, he's going to be in the White Lotus. <laughs> 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 this is funny. I actually came in with my Kawabunga tattoo on my first audition still on my neck because I'd just flown from Sicily and they, they all panicked because they thought it was real. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you? Where, where had, had This is going to hurt come out. Yeah, it had been out for like a couple of months or a month or so. And um, so I had those credentials behind me. Um, but yeah, I, I got the audition for it. But I, I, I turned it down originally because I was like, nah, like that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. Like I love to book too much, love the character too much. That's not me, um, <laughs> idiot. Um, and then I eventually saw sense and sent a tape in. But I, yeah, I the show had fully come out, and then I got the part about a couple of months later. Yeah, yeah. But, wow. Yeah. And how I mean, you must have been filming it for a long time. A long seven, eight months. Yeah, it was wow. yeah, it was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so tired. <laughs> okay, what happens oh, now? Yeah. <laughs> they meet again. Horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's take a break for some music. We'll talk some more. Uh, one day it kicks off on Netflix, I believe, on Thursday. This Thursday, <gasps> just mm. in time for Valentine's. Okay. Uh, Leo Woodall and Amber Maud are with me. They start in one day. It's on Netflix. Fourteen. But we should say they're half hours. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did, I guess that doesn't make any difference in your lives. No. I th- I don't know really. I think if they were hour hour long, well, you'd still yeah. be filming it. That's yeah. 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 <laughs> but you we, can zip yeah. through them quite quickly. I think. Oh. Okay. One is like sixteen minutes long. Oh, is so it? So like, yeah, one of them they is. they do vary. Yeah. Oh, but nice. But like the longest is like thirty-five. So. Yeah. So, mm. I, 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 I guess that's the kind of the nice thing about Netflix because mm. you know nobody cares yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. when it's done it's yeah. done and also a nice freedom for the writers so they can just tell the story Absolutely. in the length of time that, yeah yeah yeah, yeah it works yeah. really well for the show because the books are episodic that it works really well for the TV format yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, and working for you know having worked with other streamers and mm. other is it different working for Netflix or is it just another is it all the same uh, I don't really know. I don't not, know. Not massively. Not I that I know. can compare in my Were there people in suits Looking going... at from Netflix? Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's much better. <laughs> yeah, it's the best it's working great. experience yeah. we've ever had. Yeah, <laughs> Because in terms of uh, working experience, so what's the background? So Leo, we've now heard you. Is this, was that, is this your... So the voice in 
White Lotus. Yes. That is your voice. N- no. Not quite. No, no, no. This is this is me. Yeah. But but then in one day, but in one day you're much posher. A little a little bit. I would say I much. To, I had to throw my T's back in. I would say much posher, wouldn't you say? Um yeah, I think I'm, I'd, the, I'd... I'm in the middle between yeah. White Lotus and One Day. Like I'm the middle ground. Yes, yeah. uh, yes. Okay. White yeah. Lotus, no one can understand what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> and and what what was your background? Like, is it a drama school background? Is it a? Just... Uh, I went to drama school. I grew up in Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I went to drama school. <laughs> <laughs> Killed some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did a few. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I grew up in in West London. Yeah, Shepherd's Bush. So, what would we have seen you in before um, White Lotus? And stuff? Um, well, my starring moment was was my one episode in Holby City. Of in, course. In 2019. Yes. Which you obviously all I, saw. I, I saw it. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone saw it. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, nation yeah, stopped. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, there was no traffic that night. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really weird, everyone it was a was weird in. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, remind us again what happened. Uh, I come in with my friend uh, who's um, had, a, he's fallen off a wall. Oh, no. And, um, oh. and I. Like Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, I have to do all the like <laughs> panicky kind of acting, and then eventually I tell the doctors in a big roar of emotion that we had pills and and oh, no so that's no, well you've said it now I've i said mean it, now, we, yeah, it was rennies i mean they had rennies <laughs> and uh, they had an upset stomach and uh, he fell off the wall there you go that happened and uh, but, but your background yeah. is much more kind of complicated Co- you, yeah well in that you do lots of different things yeah. uh, tell us about the things you do um oh, the, the various things um mainly comedy yeah just like stand-up sketch and improv but that's what I've been doing since I was like 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at uni, I did that and I graduated and I came out, gigged and worked full-time jobs and stuff. And wrote. And, and, and wrote yeah, and, yeah. yeah, went to Fringe many times and um, eventually got an agent and I like, started auditioning for like one-line acting roles, did a couple of those and then this is going to hurt sort of came out of nowhere. I was like the last person they saw for it. Like they, I think they looked at every South Asian girl in the country before they saw me like really scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> and um, yeah... There but, I was. And, but even for you, with you know, so with your background in comedy yeah. and improv, you know, you obviously had, you know, your chops there and you knew what you could do. Yeah. Did you know you could do what you did in this not, kind of No, not on that level. Um like I had taken acting classes. I was very much preparing for like a, a an acting career one day. Um, but I never thought it would happen in that way. Uh and I was terrified before I did this is gonna hurt. I was so afraid and massive imposter syndrome and, and I also you're acting up to ben wishaw oh my god yeah like terrifying like only the like the greatest actor of his generation yeah um but yeah it all turned out all right in the end i think it did yeah i, I, think, I think it's did. fair to yeah. say it did <laughs> it all yeah. went very well and in this because there's 14 episodes was it lots of different directors you're working on on one day four. yeah we had four yeah okay yeah and was that you know as young actors was that interesting to kind of in one job, work with that many people. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. They all had different uh, approaches. Mm. Uh, they were all very nice, but mm. different approaches. Um, I think it's nice, also, like because we're quite early on in our careers to like work with as many directors as you can, because yeah. they're all so different. They all work so differently, and very different like attitudes and approaches to stuff, and like you know how experienced they were was very different. So it was just like. Yeah, a real mix. You and in terms a lot. of like, fixing your characters, because obviously you couldn't have four directors who had different ideas about mm-hmm. who <laughs> yeah. you were. <laughs> yeah. No, please. Yeah. So, how was that decided? Was it kind of you know was David Nichols there? Or was the writer there? All or how, well, how did that? Happen? I mean, I think we they, every director that came in sort of had a, a trust in everyone that mm. was already there. Um, 
there was always like a bit of a joke about you know which director was better <laughs> which director was like I'm better than yeah. the last one oh god it's them <laughs> <laughs> um, but no I think it, 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 it seemed like a very sort of you know, smooth. Did you did you get to rehearse? No, not really. We had like a week yeah. of prep, but like that was mainly like to get our hair cut and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't. Pick we didn't. Some nice yeah, clothes, some nice clothes over yeah. the ages. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, we didn't have time to like rehearse or discuss or like go through. You just have to do it on the that's TV, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's probably for the best. So you don't overthink it. You just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, you should be really pleased with it. And I think people who love the book can watch this without fear. Oh. They're, they're good. They're good. Oh. They're golden. They're golden. Uh, Netflix uh, from the 8th of February, this Thursday. Uh, I think all episodes presumably yeah. Yeah, drop yeah. at the same time. Yes. So you can binge it. Seven hours of your life. Well, not not quite. A six and a half. Six and a half. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I thought it was eight. Yeah. Like, six and a half, everyone. <laughs> Remember, it's not seven. It's six and a half. Um, because one episode's so 15 sorry. minutes. It's yeah. long. <laughs> You're going to bed that early that night. Yeah. Um, no. That was the year yeah. not much happened. Not much. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming in to see us. Uh, Leo Woodall and Ambika Maud, uh, one day. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you Take so much. Take care. Lovely to meet us. you both. Bye. 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 so much for listening to the Graham Norton show with Waitrose you can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions see you next time the Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose food to feel good about Virgin Radio